0: Hi, I'm George, and Alex is here too. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. Fantastic. Uncommon Commons is now on Patreon at patreon.com slash uncommoncommons. There are currently two tiers with plans for more in the future. Supporting us at the $1 level gets you access to all of our bonus content, including the Common Area, which uploads new episodes twice a month. For $5 a month, we will do listener shoutouts right here at the start of the episode. Now, Uncommon Commons is a passion project, so don't feel pressured to contribute, but it is greatly appreciated. For more information, go to patreon.com slash uncommoncommons or click the link in the description. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Uncommon Commons. Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Today's story is Dirty Shirley, written by Alex Vitale. my new car.
1: It's the newest model. John, that is a toy.
0: Then how come when I press this button, the engine starts?
1: Ugh, where did you get this thing anyway? It was in the garage. We, we have a garage?
0: (laughs) No. Well, sometimes.
1: Come on. Where are we going?
0: The garage. I'll show you where I got my car. Okay. Not unrelated, but how many days' worth of rations do you have on you?
1: Uh,
0: none? Oh, okay. Is this going to take long? It might, maybe. You wouldn't happen to have your story on you, would you? Uh,
1: Yeah, I always keep my newest story on me until I need it. Do you think it'll help?
0: Uh, might as well. Might take our minds off the 23 flights of stairs we'll have to climb to get there. The what? Nothing. Onward and Upward.
1: It's never the ones who deserve it. That was the favored saying among our little unit. In my years as an EMT, I'd never seen a car accident that had ended well for the victims. I'd seen plenty, though, where the perpetrators had walked away just fine. Drivers who were drunk or high off their asses, walking away totally unscathed, maybe a few bumps or bruises, a broken bone here or there, maybe a gash or two, a concussion. Nothing they couldn't easily recover from. The same could not be said for most of the victims. The lucky ones were usually dead. That's exactly what I thought when I arrived at the scene. Dispatch had said that the crash was bad, but they almost always exaggerate to kick us into gear. As soon as we pulled up to the scene of the accident, though, I knew they were serious about this one. An SUV was overturned at the side of the road, half in, half out of the drainage ditch running along it. Blocking both lanes was another one, totaled with its front accordion so badly it looked like it had deflated. Before my feet even touched the asphalt, my stomach was doing flips. I didn't need to ask questions to know what I was going to find here. The windows of the overturned car were cracked, but I could still easily read the little yellow warning sticker clear as day. Away from the accident, rocking on the ground, was a perpetrator of the crime. He was around my age, maybe late twenties or early thirties, the guy was a bit bloodied, with a sizable cut smack dab in the center of his forehead. He must have hit it against the steering wheel upon impact. He wobbled back and forth, bawling and gurgling, with a thousand-yarn stare. I ignored him, and moved towards the overturned vehicle. The slope down the side of the drainage ditch was slick with mud from the rain, and my feet sank deep into the muck at the bottom as I went down. The SUV was in terrible shape, crumpled and misshapen like an empty bag of chips. One of the doors was bent slightly ajar, and the father hung loosely over the dashboard. I could barely see the mother past him, though she was clearly impaled against a piece of shrapnel. For what horrors the front seat held, the back was worse. I could easily make out the shape of a car seat through the shattered window. The wailing from inside could be heard a mile away, but here, next to the car, it was deafening. The door needed to be pried off with a crowbar, and it took both me and Toby to do it. The car sank a little deeper as the door popped off into the muck. The baby inside was still strapped in her car seat. She was soaked with blood and wailing, but even so, she wasn't our first concern. Her older sister sat beside her, half falling out of her seat belt. Her head hung below her, a few tendons and thin strips of flesh still attached. I should have been used to it. But you never really get used to that stuff. Numb, sure, but never used to it. Toby set out working on the infant while I took the parents' vitals. The mother had none to speak of, and the fathers were dropping quickly. By the time we got him out of the car and onto a stretcher, it was time to cover him with a sheet. The baby was carted off to a hospital in Jenny's ambulance. Toby and I made our way over to Trey, who was patching up the driver of the other vehicle. I don't know, man. I I just don't know, blubbered the man, rocking back and forth. I just spaced out. I I just spaced out. I just... "'Spaced out. Yeah. I got it,' Trey said, tightening the bandage around the guy's arm maybe a little too tightly. He locked eyes with us as we approached, and Toby shook his head. Trey nodded in response and went back to work. "'How much have you had to drink tonight, sir?' "'Nothing, I swear,' the man blubbered, pulling away. The wrinkling of Trey's nose at the man's breath told us a different story. In the end, the guy got arrested for reckless endangerment, DUI, and manslaughter in that order.' As far as I'm aware, he's serving twenty years, with a chance for parole after five. As far as any of us are concerned, he deserved the death penalty. For all we hated drunk drivers, though, none of us were teetotalers. Once a week, all of us EMTs would pull up to Kenny's, shove a bunch of the beat-up wooden tables together, and drink for hours on end. We were always safe about it, though, not like the drunks that would guzzle down Guinness and then clamber behind the wheel of a pickup. Most of us would nurse one or two drinks throughout the night, and there was always a designated driver. It was my turn to drive tonight. I can't say I was thrilled about it, given that I'd spent the better part of the evening detangling a teenager from a steering wheel, but it was my civic duty to my co-workers. We piled into Kenny's and sounded off our orders like students taking roll call, and while everyone shouted for beer or whiskey, I meekly ordered my little Shirley Temple. Toby leaned on my arm, ruffling my hair. "'Leave a cherry for me, will you?' "'Get your own cherries, jackass.' The night went by quickly, most of us came in around nine, but slowly and surely more of us trickled in until one, each toddling in half-asleep after their rotations. Things went from loud to rambunctious to deafening, but people were happy. Most of us didn't drink too much. For all the horrors we saw, for all the gore we dug our hands into, we could forget about it together. Maybe it wasn't the healthiest coping mechanism, but none of us were lushes. Social drinking is what they call it and our emphasis was on the social. By about midnight, my social battery was wearing down and the three Shirley Temples I'd downed were doing little besides causing a sugar crash. I leaned forward, pressing my forehead to the inside of my folded arms. Images from the past few days flashed across my closed eyelids. Victims pulled from burning houses, mangled car wrecks, gurneys shrouded in thin sheets. Hey, Cher, take this. Trey was shoving a glass at me, poking my arm with the blunt end of his fork. Without waiting for an answer, he dumped a shot of vodka into my drink. Dude, what the hell? It's one shot, you'll be fine. I've seen you drink, you're a heavyweight. With that, he dumped in another shot. I'm DDing, Trey, I can't. You just ruined a perfectly good Shirley Temple. That's why they call it a dirty Shirley. Up to you, though. If you don't want it, Toby will drink it. I glanced over at Toby. He was half sitting, half falling out of his chair, and had drool running down his chin. I could foresee a liver transplant in his future if he so much as smelled another glass of alcohol. Turning back and locking eyes with Trey, I knocked back the drink and grimaced. It tastes like battery acid in Splenda, in the best way possible. The rest of the night went similarly. We swapped stories about our lives, our kids, recent vacations, and various crises. Whenever Trey saw me drifting off into a dark place, he'd slip another shot to my drink and I'd pretend not to see. By the time we were done at Kenny's, all of us were in a much better mood than we'd been in when we filed in. Toby teetered uneasily behind me, leaning on whatever poor sap was closest to him for balance. Dan and Jenny dropped him into the passenger seat of my car, and he promptly vomited down the side of it. I mentally elected to ignore that until he was well enough to clean it up himself, and I climbed into the driver's seat and buckled in. Buckle up, Tobe. You're not my mom, he slurred. Thank God for small favors, I muttered. As I prepared to pull out, Jenny tapped on my window. I cranked it down. "'You sure you're good to drive?' I nodded. "'Yeah, I'm feeling good, but not smashed.' She frowned, but nodded. "'Yeah, all right. Drive safe, all right? Make sure Toby doesn't fall up his stairs on his way home.' With a snort and a nod, I rolled up my window and headed off. I was feeling good, and I certainly didn't think I was completely looped. I mean, compared to Toby, I was sober as a judge.' The road ahead of me wasn't wavering and the painted lines weren't shifting location, so I reasoned I was probably fine. Toby and I pulled out onto Elm and then pulled on to Byway 34, and we were on our way home. At one in the morning, the roads were quiet and tranquil, glistening with rain in the beam of my headlights. Me and Toby both lived in the next town over, about twenty minutes out from Kenny's. I popped in a cassette, and we were off. You don't realize how tired you are until you're behind the wheel of a large automobile. The day's events were catching up with me, and so was the time of night. Maybe two were the couple of shots. The more I thought about it, the more I thought that it was more than just a couple. How many had I had? I'd lost count after four. I-, I didn't feel drunk, but I did feel kind of fuzzy, sort of spaced out. The music hummed in time with the road. The street lights blurred through the windshield. I felt warm and peaceful. All the horrible things I'd witnessed slipped out of my mind. There was only me— My music, the fuzzy feeling, and the road. I was broken out of my trance by someone leaning on their horn. A surge of anger washed over me. Why would someone break through my peaceful night after all I'd gone through over the course of the week? They hit their horn again, and that's when I noticed headlights coming straight for us. My head hit the steering wheel before I even realized I was in the wrong lane. The first thing I noticed when I woke up was that I was upside down, my ponytail hanging above my head. Toby moaned next to me. I didn't notice much else as I drifted out of consciousness again. When I next awoke, there was an EMT next to me. At first, I thought I was looking at myself, or maybe Jenny. The face of the woman taking my vitals was blurry. She said something over her shoulder, though her voice sounded distant and warped. Distant, too, was a dull ache in my stomach. Blackness closed around my vision again. I awoke once more to someone patting my face, speaking in a harsh voice. The noise still sounded far away, but at least this time I could make out what they were saying. Hey, come on, stay with me, stay with me. This time, too, I was more acutely aware of the pain in my stomach, and the one in my arm as I moved to touch it. My numb fingers brushed against something sharp and large, something which was buried deep in my gut. Dizziness took over again, and my eyes fluttered shut. No, no, hey, come on, I said stay with me said the woman, from a long way off. Forget it. She's a lost cause, replied the man, equally far off and echoing through the night. Besides, if you ask me, they got what they deserved. And we're here. John, this is the front entrance of the apartment building.
0: Exactly.
1: There is no garage out there. It's a void. We've been over this approximately 50 billion times.
0: Oh, d- did I say garage? I meant five-lane highway.
1: There isn't that. I... Eye-
0: See? Lots of cars. Let's go racing. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It was written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitali. Our theme song was composed by Charles Adam Robinson and our logo designed by Sam Vitale. Our social media manager is Rebecca Tewksbury. Email us directly at 0nullstreet at gmail.com. Visit our socials or support us on Patreon at the link tree in the description below. Rate and review us wherever you get podcasts. Stay, and remember,
1: nothing is real.